When I was in college, I served as an RA, and one of my responsibilities was to be in charge of uh, dorm devotions. At my Bible college, every Thursday night, you had to be back in the dorms by 10 p.m., that was our curfew, and everybody would meet on their floor where they lived, and we would have time of you know, prayer and Bible study, have a little dorm devotion time. And so one, one Thursday night, I was walking through the lobby on my way to my floor, and there were a group of guys watching Thursday night football. And, you know, it was, it was basically 10 o'clock. So I said, hey, guys, you know, it's 10 o'clock, time to go to Devo's. And everyone got up and headed uh, to their respective floors, except for this one guy. He just kept sitting there watching football. And in those few seconds, you know, I had now crossed the lobby to the door to go onto my floor. And so once again, I turned back, hey, man, time for dorm Devo's, you know, time to turn off the game and, and head to your floor. And I don't know, he said something, yeah, I know, or okay, I'll do it later, or something, I don't know, he said something. And I don't know what it was about what he said that night, but I snapped. I don't know if I detected a little sarcasm in his voice. I don't know if I felt disrespected, because everybody else listened to me, and they all got up, and they all went, except for him, he just kept sitting there. I don't know if I just had a long day, and I was tired, maybe I had a couple tests in class that day, I don't know. Whatever it was... When he said that, I lost it. I whipped around from that door, went up, got in his face, and said, you turn that TV off right now, and you go upstairs. Like, I'm, I'm talking like I'm his parent all of a sudden. I'm like, what has gotten into me? And I'm just like, you need to get your priorities straight. It's just a football game. And then I marched onto my floor to praise the Lord, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and about 10 seconds in, I was like, what, 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 what just happened? What? anybody else lost their, lost their anger? Anybody else had that maybe happen? We just kind of go, what? So as we're going through our series, How You Feeling, looking at discipling our emotions through the book of Psalms, we are uh, talking about anger this morning, the emotion of anger. And uh, if you want, you can go ahead and head in your Bibles to Psalm 109, Psalm 109. Uh, Psalm 109 is called an imprecatory psalm. And out of all the psalms in the Bible, imprecatory psalms are probably the most shocking, weird, out there. I mean, in the book of Psalms, these imprecatory ones, imprecatory means curses. I mean, that's where you're going to read phrases like, put them to shame. Like, okay, that doesn't sound great. You're going to hear, let them go down alive to the grave. Bury them alive, God. That's how much we hate these people. Bury them alive. Uh, you'll read something like, charge them with crime upon crime. And of course, this is maybe the one you've, you've heard, seize their infants and dash them against the rocks. Really? That's in the Bible. Okay. And these imprecatory psalms are so shocking because they seem so far away from the love of God. It just seems like, where did these come from? Now, these psalms, they don't mean that God is going to do what's written in them. And it sometimes doesn't even mean the person who wrote the psalm really wants these things to happen. Like, if you really backed them into a corner, they would not be like, yes, I really want their babies to be killed. They'd probably be like, no, I, I was having a really bad day. And these imprecatory psalms remind us, and they teach us, that anger is valid, and God can listen to your anger. 
And some of the themes maybe you've had run through your mind when you're angry, yes, God can hear that, God can take that, it's okay. But it also shows us the importance of justice, right? It shows us that someday people who have done bad things should be punished. And those remind us that God takes those things seriously. But there's a lot more to this complex emotion of anger than we think. So Psalm 109, I'm not going to read the whole thing, about the first 11 verses or so, but uh, listen to what David has to write in this one. He says, "My, My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent, for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. And listen to this, this is pretty harsh. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. That's an roundabout way of saying, kill him. Just let him die, God. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. And David goes on and on. He has a lot of very um, harsh things to say about whoever these people are. And, you know, we read that and we can get it. Okay, David surely is angry about something, about something going on. But you might be familiar that Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. So how are we supposed to take these imprecatory psalms and in your anger, do not sin? How are you supposed to feel angry? How are you supposed to respond to your emotion of anger in a way that you don't end up sinning? Because there's so much to this emotion of anger that we sometimes don't understand. So maybe there's a story in the Bible that can help us with this. You know, a lot of commentators, they're not, they're not sure what Psalm 109 is exactly about, but a lot of guesses are that it's actually about a man named Nabal. And in 1 Samuel chapter 25, we get the story of David's run-in with Nabal. And that just might be what David's so upset about. So in 1 Samuel 25, David is not just alone in a cave anymore. We've read some psalms where he's been alone in a cave. But in this psalm, he now has about 600 battle-tested warriors with him. He's still running from King Saul, who's hunting for his life, and they're trying to escape their enemies, the Philistines. So they're trying to lay low, you know, stay off the radar. But with 600 guys camping out together for a while, you get pretty hungry, and you need food. So David sends some of his servants, some of his warriors, to go over to Nabal's house and ask kindly for some food. They like, hey, Nabal, you know, we've been camped out by you. We've protected your sheep and your shepherds and your fields. We've been a really kind neighbor to you. How about you help us out and provide some food for us, whatever you've got to spare? And here's what uh, Nabal answers in 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. He says, who is this David? 
Who is this, uh, this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Oh, it's wild out there. People just running left and right. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Okay. Nabal knows who David is. All right? It's not like he, he, he's in the dark. He knows exactly who David is. But he's not just rejecting him. He's being about as offensive and demeaning as you could be. I don't, I don't know who this guy is. Why should I help you out? How can I trust you? So David's men, they go back. Verse 12, it says they, they turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So, okay, maybe, let's just think about this here. David's living out in the wilderness with 600 warriors. There's a good chance they're already pretty frustrated. They're probably, you know, pretty cramped quarters, probably getting on each other's nerves maybe just a little bit, and they need food. So they're, they're maybe hangry, right? You ever had that? David needs a Snickers, as the commercial would say. So he's a little hangry and angry, and so he goes right immediately. This sets him to whatever strap-on-your-sword anger is. Like, whatever that is, that's what he does. He's like, all right, mount up, let's go get him. Let's go teach him a lesson. Now, in this story, I think we see that David deals with his anger in at least three what I would call crossroads or decisions that we all have to make when we have this kind of anger. And here's the first one. His first decision is, will I react or refrain? Will I react or will I refrain? So notice what David does here. He gets the response from Nabal, and immediately it's, we're going to go fight this guy. We're going to go to his house, we're going to attack him, we're going to show him, we're going to take things by force. That's what we're going to do. David definitely reacts on the aggressive side. And maybe, maybe some of you are that way. When you get mad, your response is you yell, you scream, you say hurtful words, you call people names, maybe you punch a wall, I don't know. What you do. People can tell when you're angry. It's very visible and vocal. And that's kind of how David is. But some of you think you don't have an anger problem because you don't yell or punch through a wall. You just have different ways to go about being angry. Like, maybe you're uh, passive-aggressive. And somebody's like, hey, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. I'm great. I'm doing wonderful. Like, I think something's wrong. No, I'm good. I'm fine. And, you know, maybe you with, withhold some things from that person or you kind of work, work around to get at them. You're just being passive-aggressive. Some of you get angry by being sarcastic. You make really critical, hurtful comments about the person, and then when they're upset, you just say, hey, don't be so sensitive. Like, you just hide behind that. Don't be so sensitive. I'm just kidding. Like, you may not actually have been kidding, though. And maybe you get angry by stonewalling the person, where you withdraw from them, you ignore them. Uh, sometimes in a marriage, this looks like you withhold physical and emotional intimacy from that person, because I'm angry, so I'm, I'm going to make you feel how I feel. There are a lot of ways that we can react with our anger. But instead, we need to refrain. We need to restrain ourselves while we get some perspective and we calm down. You see, the message of the Bible is not no anger. It's not don't be angry. It's slow anger. 
James writes in James chapter 1, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, anger, it's kind of like, because anger is meant as an emotion to move us to action, right? If you had zero anger, you would be a doormat. Like, you would never stand up for yourself. You would maybe never stand up to do the right thing. You'd just be like, eh, whatever. Anger is meant to move us to act. But we have to act in the right ways. And it's, it's like God puts a speed limit on anger. He says, okay, when you're angry, go 35 miles per hour in this zone. But anger tempts you to put the pedal to the metal and say, oh no, oh no, I'm going to go 60, I'm going to go 100, I'm going to speed right through there. And sometimes we rush into action or to do something in our anger. And we aren't slow to become angry, we go very quickly. So David and about 400 men are speeding on their way to Nabal. They're like, we're, we're going to show this guy, how dare he disrespect us like this. But luckily his wife Abigail steps into the picture. Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears from some of the servants what's been going on, what's happened, and she sends them ahead. She says, hey, go take food and go meet David's men. Go, like, intercept them with some food. Uh, There is a server at a Mexican restaurant who once told me that sometimes a group of guys will come in to eat, and they're a little angry, a little grumpy, a little snippy, but as soon as they get the chips and salsa on the table, they're great. They're fine. Yeah, they're good to go. So Abigail's pretty smart. It's like, hey, Let's just get him some food. Send him some food. And then in verse 20, Abigail shows up. As she came, riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her. And she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. Sounds a little bit like Psalm 109, doesn't it? So, as Abigail arrives, David's talking about, this is why I am so angry. This is why I'm just so fed up. Then, verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. How about this for a wife? He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. It's like, Thanks. I'm sure Nabal's like, thanks, Abigail. Thanks for that. And then in verse 28, she does something really brilliant. While David is angry, she reminds David that there's a bigger picture. She reminds David that, hey, people are going to tell this story someday. Like, people are going to talk about you. How do you want them to tell this story? Like, what, what do you want people to remember about this day? She says, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Down in verse 31, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Have conscience. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. So she's just reminding David, how do you want this story to be remembered? Because sometimes in our anger, when we're speeding, when we're rushing, we do things that we regret that will stick with us for a little while. We say things or do things that we so badly wish we could just take back. And so, that's why James says, be slow to speak, be slow to become angry. There's a place for anger, there's a place to use it, but you got to do it the right way. So here's the second decision 
that David reaches. And that's, will I replay or will I reflect? Will I replay or will I reflect? Because when we get angry, what do we tend to do? We just put all of our focus on that person and what happened to us, right? And you replay it over and over in your mind. You rehearse what that person said to you, how they said it. You know, you go back over and over again over that lie that was told or that betrayal that, was, that took place or an injustice that you experienced or a hurtful word somebody said to you. And you just, it's just in your mind over and over and over, just replays, replays, replays. And then sometimes what we do is after replaying it, you start rehearsing. Boy, if I could talk to that person, tell them how I really feel. If I could just, you know, not be a Christian for five minutes, here's what I would really tell them. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would do. And you just start to rehearse. And then what does that do? You just get angrier. You just get angrier at the person. You get mad at them. You're like, well, that person. And you just start calling them names. And it's all in your head, just going around, going in the circles. But instead of replaying, we need to take time to reflect and ask ourselves, why am I so angry right now? Like, what's going on? Dr. John Gottman, who is a a psychiatrist and a psychologist, he uses this illustration of an iceberg to explain this a little better to us. He says anger is a lot like an iceberg. There's this little part of the iceberg that you see above the surface of the water, but most of the iceberg is actually below the surface. And so anger is the top of the iceberg. It's the little bit that you see, but under the surface, there's all these other emotions and situations going on. And so you feel anger, but actually, there might be some anxiety under the surface. There might be some fear under the surface. There may be some sadness under the surface. There may be that somebody just happened to say something that triggered a bad experience in your past, and that made you angry. Sometimes anger kind of acts like a defender. It's trying to protect you from these other emotions and these vulnerable parts of your life. And so you've got to reflect and look below the iceberg, below the surface. Why am I so angry about this? And you have to start to ask yourself, you know, am I I getting enough sleep? Have I just kind of had a bad day? Am I not in the best situation for this right now? Did this person just say something that affected something in my past and that brought things up? Maybe are you transferring some of your anger? Are you angry and frustrated about other things and you're just transferring it to this person? Maybe, I I don't know for sure, but maybe David was transferring some of his anger towards Saul and transfer that to Nabal. Like maybe he was like, what I would really like to do is just take my army and wipe out Saul. So instead, I'm going to do that to Nabal instead. Maybe he's transferring some anger. So you've got to go below the surface and think, why am I so angry? What's going on here? The book of Proverbs says, it's to your glory to overlook an offense. It's wise to overlook the things that people do that make us angry. How many times in a day do you have an opportunity to overlook an offense? slow to speak, slow to become angry. So what Abigail does is first, she gets David to refrain, sends some food, stops him for a little bit, gets him to pause, and then helps him reflect. Now, David, think about this. What are people going to say after this day's over? What story do you want them to tell? 
You know, do they want to say this is the day that you took your army and you killed Nabal and his servants, or do you want them to have a different story? She gets him to refrain and then reflect. And here's the third decision when you're angry. Will you rage or will you release? Will you rage or will you release? So Abigail goes on, verse 32, says, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. We will not kill your husband. Crisis averted. There you go. So Abigail gets David to refrain and then reflect, and then finally he releases it. He says, okay, guys, let's, let's all go home. Big misunderstanding. It's going to be okay. Let's go back home. It's all right. He lets it go. So how do you know when you haven't released it? How do you know when you haven't let it go? Well, some signs are uh, you become disproportionately angry over little things, like something very small happens and then you just kind of blow your cool. Or you maybe find yourself just feeling irritable and kind of generally grumpy and cranky, kind of like all the time. Usually that's a sign something's going on below the surface. Like you really haven't let things go. You're still holding on to some of those issues and some of that anger. And this is like, you know, I don't know if you've seen this, I've seen this, where the Kroger self-checkout line, somebody's you know, trying to scan their item and it's not working. It's like, boop, can't, error, can't find out. Boop, error, can't find out. Like, what is go-? You know, or it's a coupon and it won't take the coupon and they're just like, come on. And they're just like, they're yelling at this machine, like, what is going on? And they see the line forming behind them, like, I just want to buy some bread. What? And they just get so angry. They're not angry at the Kroger self-checkout machine. All right, there's a good chance there's something else going on that they're angry about, and it just starts boiling up to the surface. So if you find yourself getting mad at little things that don't really matter, maybe you need to look a little deeper. Maybe you haven't released things or let things go. Now, when I say release it, I don't mean you just sort of let it go off into space, like there's my anger, there it goes, it's fine. That's not what you do. You release it to God. You let him take the weight of what's been done to you. You let him take the weight of the anger. You let him deal with it. You loosen your grip on it and let him take over. Because a lot of times in our anger, we decide, I'm going to make this happen the way I think it should happen. I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to take charge. And that's where we make mistakes. And we treat people in a way that they don't need to be treated. We do things that we regret doing. And one of the messages of the Bible is that you let God take care of the justice. You want things to be done a certain way, you've got to let God handle that. And what's ironic about the end of the story with Nabal is that David decides to quit, they go home, and then a little later, Nabal suddenly just dies, just randomly. And because God took care of it for David, he said, I'll I'll deal with this. You just let God handle it. And so you release it and let him handle it. But listen to how Psalm 109 ends. Listen to this. Verse 22, David writes, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. 
And then down in verse 30, With my mouth I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throne of worshipers I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Now in verse 31, David acknowledges that he needs saving. He kind of turns the magnifying glass to himself and says, yeah, I, I know I'm angry, Lord. I'm the one who needs help. I need some help. But at the same time, in that verse, David also recognizes that the person that he's angry at needs forgiving and needs saving. David recognizes at the same time, I'm the needy one and that other person is the needy one. We both need you, Lord. Because earlier he says, God put somebody at their right hand to destroy them. And now he says, God, you're the one who comes up to somebody's right hand and you help them and you save them. And so at the same time, David recognizes, I need saving and that person needs saving. And sometimes in our anger, what we do is we direct that anger to the wrong place. We get angry at the person instead of the sin. Or we get angry at the wrong person. Or we get angry at some sin out there instead of the sin in us. We get angry at the situation instead of, really there's something going on in our own hearts we need to address. And so David acknowledges by the time the psalm's over that, God, I need forgiveness, the other person needs forgiveness, only you can do that. That's what we need. And if you look at the life of Jesus, now Jesus did get angry. He had, he had some times where he got pretty frustrated with people. But he was never angry at how people treated him. He was always angry at how people treated each other. Like he got angry at the Pharisees, not for what they said about him, but for how they were treating the people around them and under them. Right? He got mad at the temple courts because they were misusing the God's house of worship. They were trying to turn a profit off of sacrifices. And if there's any moment in Jesus' life when he had every right to be angry, it, had, it would have to be on the cross, right? I mean, arrested in the middle of the night on false charges, carried to two to three different completely rigged trials that weren't supposed to happen, and then he's sent before Pilate, and this whole crowd of people say, crucify him, yeah, and give us that traitor Barabbas, why not? And now he's on the cross for crimes he's not really guilty of. His friends have abandoned him, the crowd is mocking him, and and chanting at him, and it's a pretty terrible situation. And if there's any place where Jesus could have preached a fire and brimstone sermon, surely it would have been there, right? But he doesn't. Instead, his sermon is, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. If anything, when God had every right to be furious, he wasn't. And maybe those are the same words that Jesus would say, Lord, I'm poor and needy. I've been wounded. I know you'll come to my right hand and save me. And that's what God does. And I think a lot of us, we have a picture of God that's not totally accurate. We sort of think that God is just up in heaven. He's got his arms crossed and he's so mad at you. And he's just waiting. Like, just wait till I get a hold of you. I'm going to destroy you. But he's not. He's not like this this person who's just angry and ready to throw the book at you. He's much more like a father who's just so concerned about you. And he's been sitting in the living room, looking out the front window all day, wondering, 
you ever, are you going to come home? And when you come home, he can't wait for you to get into the house. So he just opens the front door and runs out to meet you in the driveway. Like, I'm so glad you came home. That's what God is like. So in your anger, what are you going to decide to do? Will you refrain? Will you reflect and release? Or will you let your, wep- your anger become this, this weapon that hurts you and hurts others? I think it's best to pick the way of Jesus. So when you think about it, his whole life was like this. In his anger, he forgave us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for your presence and your example of ways that we can live. And I'm so thankful for your constant offer to us of grace and forgiveness. Uh, And Lord, I'm thankful that even when we're angry, you can hear our words, you can hear our complaints, you can, you know, we can say really uh, hurtful, terrible things to you, and you'll, you'll take it, and you'll say, hey, I get it, you're angry. But then you'll give us a way and pave a way for us to release that anger and let you take care of it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come alongside all of us as you do as that comforter and that teacher to help us learn better how we can be slow to get angry and how we can turn the other cheek and give forgiveness to those who've hurt us and made us so angry. God, we love you, and it's in the name of your Son that I pray all these things. Amen.